Well, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles, if I could, to John chapter 5. We've been looking at some of the, what we know as the seven signs that John gives us concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. And this morning we are looking at the story of the healing um, at the pool, the pool of Bethesda. And uh, I'd like to read it to you. And then I'd like us just to look at it and see if there's some in that story that will be of help and a blessing to us. Okay, so it's John chapter 1. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for the feast of the Jews. Now there was in Jerusalem near the sheep gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colocades. Here a great multitude of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. One who had been there, and one who had been an invalid, pardon me, for 30 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learnt that he'd been in this condition for such a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, is, this, is it the Sabbath the law forbids you to carry your mat? But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. They asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who had been healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. I'd like to pray, please. Father, we thank you for this tremendous story that God the Holy Spirit has placed in John's gospel. We pray, Lord, that the same Holy Spirit that breathed this book into being might breathe upon the speaker and hearers alike. Amen. Amen. Well, this is a well-known story. I think for many of you who've been reading your Bibles any period of time, we have Jesus is again back in Jerusalem. We have the time and the place. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So he had returned to Jerusalem and for the feast of the Jews. Now, most commentators believe that this was the feast of Purim, not one of the Passovers. If it was a Passover feast, then the extent of Jesus' earthly ministry would be extended even further. So most commentators would say that this was the feast of Purim. Now that was a feast that wasn't a statutory feast that the male Jews had to attend Jerusalem, but many of them would. It was in celebration of the deliverance of God's people through Esther when they were in Persia. Great story, the book of Esther. And this is it. It's also a feast at which presents would be exchanged. And of course, we know from this story, someone was about to receive a tremendous present from the Lord Jesus Christ, or should I say a gift rather than a present than the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we find that the time is the Feast of the Jews. We know that the location is Jerusalem. But then we're given some more information about the scene of where this takes place. At first reading, it might seem a bit trivial, and hopefully you won't think so. It says there, now in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate, 
a pool, which in the Aramaic is called Bethesda, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. So John not only lets us know that it's in Jerusalem and it's the time of a feast when there would be crowds there, but he actually tells us the location in which this man was found. It was in this, by the pool of Bethesda. And it was called the House of Mercy. That was the name that was given to this place. So the House of Mercy. So here we have numbers of people, disabled, the list is there for us, suffering from many, many conditions. And they find themselves by this pool called the House of Mercy. Now, the background is very simple to this. There was a, a tradition maybe, or maybe it happened. I, I, I'm, I'm not sure. I always think it doesn't do a preacher any harm to say I'm not sure occasionally. I'm not sure. But your authorised version will talk about an angel coming down and troubling the waters. And not all the manuscripts have that phrase, and so the NIV has omitted it in the text here. But there was a place here of expectation. It was a place where people believed that literally the mercy of God could be found. And then we're told also that this pool was next to the sheep gate. Now, there were many gates going into the Jerusalem. Um, for example, in Nehemiah 3, we're told that the sheep gate, when they went back to rebuild Jerusalem, was built by the high priest and the priest. That was their responsibility to rebuild the sheep gate. Now, please, it's very simple. This would have been the gate by which the animals, many of the animals that would, lambs and sheep were brought in that would be sacrificed in the altar in the temple worship. So we have these two things running together. We have the house of mercy and we have the gate of sacrifice. And a little later, we'll maybe think of that a little closer. So that's where the situation is. The house of mercy by the place or the entrance for sacrifice. And it tells us there in verse three, a great number of disabled people used to lie there, blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. And then the story changes to a very sad condition. This is where the title of the sermon comes from, helpless and hopeless. We find there one who had been an invalid for 38 years. Years. What a hopeless situation to be in this situation. For 38 years, this man had been an invalid. Now, we don't know his age. And I think it's inferred from what Jesus says to him later that this wasn't something he was born with. And so we have that situation. And he's been there those years. What a hopeless situation to be in. Now, it's not telling us that he'd been going for 38 years to the pool, but he'd certainly been there for a period of time. And when Jesus comes to him and says, what, would you be well? He very simply says to him, um, do you want to get well? He says, well, I do, but I can't get in the water quick enough. The tradition was that when the waters were troubled, the first one in would be healed. And he said, by the time I get myself in a position to get in, someone else has got there before me. And that's why he was not only hopeless, but he was helpless. There was no one to help him. He was not only alone in his physical needs, he was alone in trying to bring, rectify this situation. And there we find Jesus' heart goes out to him. Without ceremony, he's asked a very simple question. He says, very simple, and Jesus said to him, do you want to get well? Um, and he says, of course, yes, I do want to get well, but his mind ran to what he was familiar with. Do you want to get well? Well, I do, of course I do, but if I 
when the angel comes, if the angel did come, when the waters were troubled, you know, and I get in, there's no one there. So Jesus cuts through all of that, whether it was actually happening or whether it was a tradition or whatever. Jesus steps through it all when the man says, yes, I do. I don't have any help. Jesus says in verse 8, and it's almost in a very casual way, he just says, get up, pick up and walk. Get up and pick up your mat and walk. No one had to lift him anywhere. No one had to put him into the water. No one had to wait for an angel to come down. Jesus didn't say, well, hang on a minute. Um, I'm going to call an angel to come do a swoop over the water and cause some ripples and I'll make sure you get. No, no, no. Jesus didn't need those extras. Jesus didn't need those extras. I have to use the word again, forgive me. Because his word is enough. We have got to really understand this, that Jesus' word is enough. We're the ones that add things on. We like to, and it's a religious spirit sometimes. We think, well, if I go to that particular church, I'll get healed. Or if I go to that particular place, I'll get healed. Now, please, I'm not sure. You go to whichever church you want. But let me tell you, it's not where you go who heals you. It's who you meet. And that is none other, of course, than the Lord Jesus Christ. So he said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And then it says in verse 9, at, at, at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. So he was healed. And then in obedience to what Christ has said, he got up and he began to walk and he picked up his mat. Now that picking up of the mat was going to cause massive problems. This was going to be where law and grace meet together. And there's always been that tension where we have religious rules against the grace and mercy of God. And this man was walking. He did exactly what Jesus said, pick up your mat and walk. So, um, And on that day, so the Jews said to him, verse 10, so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, the law forbids you to carry your mat. So they were interested in him obeying the law. They were the religious police of the day. They were going around looking for people who were breaking the rules. Friends, you don't need, there's no gift of the Spirit called criticism. We need to be encouragers. It takes no gift from God to look for what's wrong. We need the grace and mercy of God to show us what's right. Is there a perfect church? No. Is there a perfect preacher? Certainly not this one. The only perfect person is the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not in our gambit to go round and nitpick and find faults with people. But that's what the religious people were doing. They were coming to him and they were saying to him, it is the Sabbath, the law forbids you to carry your mat. Now I would challenge that, whether the law forbids him to carry his mat. The law certainly said the Sabbath day should be holy. The law said that you shouldn't work on a Sabbath and a lot of other things but whether it actually specified mats, because what happened was, like the religious spirit says, right, you mustn't work on a Sabbath. Now they had to define what work was. Instead of catching the spirit of it, on the seventh day God rested, you know, man was made for the Sabbath, not the, uh, 
the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You know, they started to bring in rules and regulations about how far you could journey, etc. things. And in this list of add-ons, they actually said, if you carry your mat around, that's classed as work and you shouldn't do it. And their obsession was with this. The man replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. What an invitation to change their attitude. What an invitation. The man who made me well told me to do it. For what man? We've got to meet this guy. You know, forget your mat. Forget the rules and regulations. Listen, if there's someone around here healing the sick, we want to meet him. But no, that is not the way it happened. The man who made me well said, pick up your mat. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? They didn't say, who is this fellow who healed you? Who is this fellow that came into your life that after 30 odd years of misery and being an invalid, suddenly now you're walking about carrying a mat. I'd have thought the mat would have been a sign of the grace of God and the mercy of God. But not to these Pharisees or these religious Jews. They couldn't see further than the rules that they had made up. Do you know, we all have to watch this. I don't care who you are, we all have to watch that legalistic spirit that can so often come into our lives. I remember when I was a, a very young pastor, I was, uh, it was so long ago, I was actually involved, I was leading the youth. So that shows you how long ago it was. And we had a couple of girls in this church, I won't name the church, a couple of girls in the church who used to come in from a housing estate on the outside of the city. They travel in and um, they said to me, you know, uh, could we stay in the church for the afternoon between the services, morning and evening services, um, because it's a long way to go home. And if we go home, we're not sure if our parents would let us come back again. So we'd like to stay in the church. Of course, I said, yeah, of course you can, not a problem. And what they used to do is they'd go around to a shop around the corner and they'd buy some food and they would eat it in the church. Well, I was in digs at this time um, I, and um, my landlady used to invite two ladies from the church to come and have lunch. And I would be there and I'd be having my lunch and they told me, they went for me. They said, when are you gonna tell those girls to stop shopping on a Sunday? Well, I was flabbergasted, I, I couldn't believe it. Here we have two young women, teenage girls, if my memory serves me right, who wanted to stay in church, who wanted to come to both services, who were prepared to eat Sunday lunch with a packet of crisps probably, stay in a church on their own so they could come to the second service and these ladies expected me to tell them to stop shopping on a Sunday. Well, I'll tell you now, I was fuming. And I know I shouldn't fume, but I do fume. <laughs> I was shocked and I told them that I am not going to tell them not to do that. Because I felt that they were saying it was a Sunday and you shouldn't buy and sell on a Sunday. Okay, many of us would not do a, a, a week shopping on a Sunday. We would be, well, we're too busy on a Sunday to even think about it. But these were two girls that wanted to serve God. I tell you now, Grace overcame law as far as I was concerned. Now, some of you listening to this won't agree with me, but that's, that's a healthy thing. 
and I wouldn't do it. These two ladies were sitting in someone else's house. They had cooked their lunch. They weren't going without their food. And if memory serves me right, I don't think they even went to the evening service themselves. But you see, you shouldn't spend money on a Sunday. Now, I'm not advocating shopping on a Sunday. I'm not advocating anything. What I'm saying is we have to be very wise when we start putting law before grace. And I'm so glad that I said nothing to those girls and encouraged them all I could to serve God and to walk with him. And so they were more interested. They said to them, who is this fellow, verse 12, who told you to pick it up and walk? Not who is this fellow who told you to stand up, pick up and walk? No, no, no. They weren't interested in the, in the, 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 the joy that would come in this. They weren't there thinking, what a, wow, this could set the whole feast of Purim alight. God had given this man a gift of healing, like, you know, Esther's day. Let's do it. It's, you know, it's marvellous. They couldn't see beyond the rules. And the man must have felt very bewildered and very threatened. Who is this fellow? They even use a dismissive, dismissive term for Christ. The man who was healed in verse 13 said, I have no idea who it was. No idea who it was. For Jesus has slipped away into the crowd that was there. Did Jesus heal this man because he felt compassion towards him? Of course. Did Jesus recognise his hopelessness and his helplessness? Of course he did. But did he also instruct him to take his mat up? Because he wanted to confront the religious leaders of his day? Because this was going to be the start of a war that would end with Jesus going to the cross. This is going to be the time when the Jews would set out to find cause to put him to death. And that was what it was, whether it was to do with the temple or it's to do with the law or the Sabbath, they just wanted rid of Jesus because the grace of God will burst out. Law won't keep the grace of God under control. Grace will always find its way out in mercy and in grace. And so here in this place of mercy and this place where sacrifice was, the grace and mercy of God was to be seen. Well, moving on, I'm almost finished here. I'll move quickly on. It says there, um, later Jesus found him in the temple. What a wonderful place. He didn't go home. He went into the temple. He realised that something wonderful had done. And having been wanting to be a receiver of God's grace, he now became a worshipper and found himself in the temple. Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. This was going to be the first of many conflicts between Jesus and the religious leaders of his day. He challenged the very root of their existence. They felt they were custodians of the law. The law was no problem with the law. Jesus came to fulfill the law in every way. He was the Sabbath. He was the Passover lamb. 
He was the temple. He is all. He said, I, I will destroy this temple in three days I will raise it up. And they turned around and talked about how long it took the building to be built. They had no concept that the God had moved on from places and things and routine and it was all coming together in one place. No, forgive me, not in one place, in one person. Let me go to the beginning of our story. I mentioned earlier that the place where they met was called the place of mercy, um, near the sheep gate. Um, Pool of Bethesda, it speaks about it being the house of kindness, the house of grace, gentleness, the house of mercy. And you see, the geography in itself speaks volumes because that house of mercy and that gate of sacrifice had not produced this man's healing. He was in the place of mercy. He was watching the animals that would go up to the temple for sacrifice. He was aware that sacrifice had to take him, but he remained ill. It didn't touch him until mercy and sacrifice walked into that courtyard. For you see, mercy and sacrifice are not places and are not events, it's a person. And so he became that house of mercy. He became that animal. He became, forgive me, he became that lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And once again, that tradition and that hope and those symbols of Jerusalem and the mercy house and the sheep gate and the high priest in Nehemiah 3, building it, making it special because it's sacrificed. It all is put aside. Meaningful it is, and it's a good, you know, I nearly said a stocking filler for a sermon, those backgrounds. But at the end of the day, mercy and sacrifice walked into that man's life in a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe that's how you might feel. Maybe you've spent years wondering, well, I'm not getting anywhere. Maybe you feel like this man, hopeless and helpless. Maybe the lockdown has made you feel even more in need. Well, let me tell you, I'm not gonna tell you to go to a place. I'm not gonna tell you to go to a location. I'm gonna encourage you to come to mercy, to come to sacrifice, who is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't point you to this church. Uh, you're welcome. We, you know, when lockdown finishes, you know, we're going to have a great time. Until up till then, we're going to have a great time as well. It's going to be great. I'm not saying you've got to come to this spot. No, no. Because if I said you have to come to this spot, I'm, I'm, I'm doing the, the sheep gate. I'm doing the, no, no. You come to a person. And that person is the Lord Jesus Christ. The house of kindness, the house of mercy, the house of grace. I don't know what your concept of God is, but let me tell you, here's some good words. Mercy, grace, kindness, gentleness, all wrapped up in the title of this place. And I don't have to tell you. Oh, well, maybe I do, forgive me. You may not be a churchgoer that although many animals were sacrificed in the temple, there was only one lamb of God was. 
And that's Jesus Christ became our sacrifice. Instead of God requiring of us to pay for our sins, Jesus took that, our sins upon him. In fact, Scripture tells us he became sin for us. He who was spotless and pure became sin, enabling you and I to get up, pick up and walk. Our future is in him. And if you're not a Christian, please consider giving your life to Christ. I'm going to lead you in a prayer in just a moment. And I'd like you to be thinking about making that prayer. If you realise that you are hopeless and helpless, you need grace and mercy to come, you need God's forgiveness, you need God's love, then please share in this prayer. And then if you are able to, come into the Zoom room. There are people there who will talk to you, say hello. If you need a private place, we can. that's a facility that we have we can encourage you further in your coming to faith in Christ. Christian friends, it's all of him. Don't get caught up in religion, get caught up in Christ. For those who are walking in faith from the previous message, keep walking, don't lose your faith. God will meet you on the way. And if you're not a Christian, please say this prayer with me. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your grace and mercy. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins. I ask you now, dear Father, to forgive me my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Lord Jesus, I invite you to come into my heart and life May I know what it is to have peace with God and to know that you are my Saviour. Help me, Lord, to live in a way now that will please you rather than please me. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, that's great. Thank you. And if you'd like to visit the Zoom room, that would be great. But we appreciate you sharing with us. And if you have no church and you've clicked on to our YouTube, we want you to know that if you haven't got a church, you have now and you're part of us. Bless you.